my recommendation would be instead of thinking about stilling the mind and and relieving yourself of, of OCD or any sort of compulsion or anxiety just from doing one practice. And instead of setting a goal that if I do this for a month, then I should have less anxiety. Instead, just think about my goal is to just show up every day to that practice. And no matter what happens, I just continually and continually show up. And if you continually show up to that practice, I have no doubt that you'll make some sort of transformation and some sort of change for the better. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. Okay, let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Jason Mazar Kelly, aka Yogi J. Jason is a man of many stories. He's a Kripalu yoga instructor, meditation teacher, breathwork specialist, mindfulness coach. And I didn't know this, but he's also a CPA, accountant, <laughs> consultant, husband, son, brother, friend, and person. Yes, yes, that's awesome. Um, Jason is one of the co-founders of Wholesome MV and leads the Wholesome Yoga Dimension, which focuses on providing mindfulness-based practices through community collaboration and cooperation. He's been practicing yoga since 2011 and teaching yoga and meditation since 2014. Jason specializes in intuitive movement, meditation, breath work, yoga philosophy, and the subtle anatomies of yoga. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Drew. It's nice to be on and uh, looking forward to having a great conversation today and talking about all the different various stories I hold as well as, you know, society and and the world at large holds and how we can utilize these practices to to navigate that skillfully. That that's that sounds fantastic. So um, just to give everybody a background. So I was at the Kropalu Center re recently, which is a wellness center here in um, Western Massachusetts. For those who haven't been there, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And I was just sitting outside having lunch and all of a sudden I saw down the hillside, these arms shooting up in the air and this great <laughs> breathing technique going on. And, I'm, and, I, and I was just like mesmerized by it. And I'm like, all right. So I'm sitting there eating and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta find out who this is. And so, and so, and, and so then Jason was doing some running up and down the hill. And so I, I went in and approached him and I'm like, you know, I love what you're doing and I want to have you on my show. And, and here, here we are. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. It's, I, I love those types of connections where you're kind of just out in the world and, and you see something and you're like, well, that looks interesting. And, and, and the curiosity comes through. So I appreciate you coming up to me, Drew, and introducing yourself. It was, it was great to connect and um, share, share, in the, share in the wealth of breath. <laughs> yeah, to totally, totally. Um, yeah, so so happy to to have met you. And, and Jason, you know, when I was reading about your bio, you know, I had no idea that you started as a CPA and financial auditor by yep. day. This was great, <laughs> and and teaching yoga by night until about spring 2019, when you decided to pursue yoga, your yoga passion full time. Jason, what do you think prompted the? Uh, what was the motivation behind that decision? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I actually always knew I wanted to go into, into the wellness field full time. Um, but when I had, had, um, went to college, my, my studies was in accounting and finance and, um, you know, it, it was interesting because I had grown up with severe OCD during my adolescent life. Um, so obsessive compulsive disorder. And, um, you know, I found yoga very early on in my college career at a community class. So um, as much as I had gone into college with this idea of going into, you know, business and, and then eventually finding accounting, um, you know, yoga was the big thing for me that totally transformed my life from struggling with OCD to, you know, kind of finding a way to utilize it and turn it into, into a superpower by letting go of the parts of it that really created suffering for me and then working with the parts that, you know, got my mind active, always thinking about new ideas, new ways of, of uh, modeling, you know, different structures in society. And so for me, you know, as I, as I was going through my college career, I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to give the gifts of yoga and find mindfulness back to others that it had given to me um, in terms of helping relieve my OCD and the different, um, you know, effects and impacts that that had on my life. And so it was always there in the back of my mind. And for many years, I was, you know, back and forth between how do these two things go together, like CPA, accounting, finance, business, and like yoga. And um, I think, you know, after having some time experiencing those two ends of the spectrum per se, I've now realized how important um, both of those elements are in terms of well-being, both thinking about it from a, you know, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual well-being, but also, you know, to have that, you know, having basic necessities met and living within the society we do live within, how do we, you know, work ourselves to, to be financially well so those other pillars can can fall into place and and also where are there areas that we need to speak out whether it's against governments or organizations to help improve society in those in those areas so mm. that's kind of um, it was always there in the back of my mind and then eventually I got to a place where you know the the day-to-day -day work of being a CPA is very stressful, long nights, um, lots of just constant client demands, which, you know, for me was a resilience builder in itself, just like some of the yoga practices and breathwork techniques. Um, but I knew that my passion was really reaching towards helping others find the tools to add to their toolkit so they could, um, you know, feel a little bit better in their lives and be able to skillfully navigate their lives. And so that was kind of the, uh, the moment of fire within that inner fire, that burn that was churning for years and eventually was like, yep, this is the moment to do it. And, um, you know, I felt like I had a lot of support system from the, the firm that I worked with all those years as a, as a CPA and, and consultant. And I still do work for them still part time. Um, PwC PricewaterhouseCoopers is the, is the company. And um, so it, it's been a nice relationship. They're very supportive, but I knew my passion needed to be filled and another garden of mine needed to be watered. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting because yeah, I was going to ask you if you still, if you still work as a, as a, a CPA, um, but you know, was the, so when you did, I'm just trying to go back to that time. So you did that first yoga class and you, you know, you had the OCD, was it sort of instantaneous that you noticed a difference or was it, did it, did it build up over time where you, um, where you, where you felt that impact of, of the yoga practice with your, with your mental health and yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I would say it's a combination of, of both of those. So 
Um, the, the most impactful moment I had during my first yoga class was actually during the relaxation element right at the end. Um, so, so in the midst of it, I remember walking into this room and at the time, you know, I'm someone who identifies as a male, he, him, and going into a room that was filled with, you know, females or other genders that, um, you know, that were very flexible, very, you know, easily moving through postures. And, and granted, I was at a college community class. So, so a lot younger people, um, you know, folks who had been doing this for a while, gymnasts, all that type of stuff. I was going with a friend of mine. And so I was very anxious the first time I walked into that room. I almost, I almost turned out the door. I was like, I don't know. I'm like, I was overweight. I'm still struggling with anxiety and OCD. And, you know, in that moment of insecurity, but but, um, you know, thanks to my friend who is, who's always so supportive, um, you know, and just kind of kept smiling at me, checking in with me, um, you know, I, I decided to stick with it. And during the class, lots of ups and downs, moments of like, oh, my God, this is so hard. Oh, my God, I can't find my breath. What do I look like? And then eventually, by the end of it, all of those thoughts started to kind of just melt away. And, um, you know, I think it was partially the the curiosity that was behind the energy of motivating me to go to the class. And then also like years of my mother being like, Jason, you should really go and try, try yoga. And, and she'd been doing it since I was a kid. Um, and I was uh, definitely a angsty teenager who uh, didn't always take her advice. But now I look back and I go, yeah, should have taken my mom's advice a little earlier, but it was that first moment in, in Shavasana where I realized my mind wasn't moving. Um, I was observing my thoughts. I was observing sensation. I was, I was noticing, I was aware. And in that moment of both awareness and seeing that my mind was relatively still and, and relatively calm when normally with OCD, it's just this constant stream of, of thoughts that are driving compulsions. And oftentimes anything that I was doing as I was going through life, there was some sort of thought with some sort of compulsion related to that. And having that not there without any medication whatsoever was like, whoa, this is, this is the real deal. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, it's something where there's so many benefits to these practices and the, the ongoing dedication to the practice um, is really where, you know, I started to see how vast this world is in offering ways to more skillfully navigate life as well as to just feel better in one's body. And, and, and that, that's great, Jason. And I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit here, but, um, you know, you're just making me think of all these things, but, but you, you know, when we had our first conversation, I mean, you told me how you're bringing this into the schools mm -hmm. and how, and how, um, so, so, well, so first of all, so you're based in Martha, the Island of the beautiful Island of Martha's Vineyard, um, yes. which, which in and of itself is something that I know, I know is, is very powerful and important to you. A lot of natural beauty there. What, what is it about Martha's Vineyard, first of all, that just has, that has kind of pulled you and your wife in? Yeah, definitely. And, and for those listeners out there that maybe are saying to themselves, where, where is Martha's Vineyard? I think if you're from East coast, New England area, you probably have an idea of it, but maybe West coast or, you know, in another country or something, you know, you're like, where is that? So Martha's Vineyard is this beautiful Island, um, right off the coast of Cape Cod, which is off the, which is Massachusetts. And, um, it's about an hour and a half drive down from Boston. Um, if there's no traffic, of course, <laughs> and then, uh, and then you get, then you take a nice little ferry ride across. It's about 45 minutes and you're on this Island. That's actually a fairly big Island. Um, you know, there's, there's six different towns on the Island. 
Um, so a lot of different communities and the, you know, the, the landscape of the island changes a lot. You have native sand plains and then you have more woody areas up island. And then obviously you have it all surrounded by beaches and then little downtown areas um, spattered throughout. And so there's a lot of diversity. Um, there's a lot of different um, all different walks of life coming because, you know, oftentimes um, if you do know of, of Martha's Vineyard, you may think about it in a way that is like, oh, that's a very, you know, wealthy and abundant area, which, which it is. There's, there's lots of people, um, you know, that, that, that come here and, and have their homes here and they summer here. So, so obviously that, you know, kind of pulls towards that wealthier side of, of society, but in the background is all these people that are supporting, you know, the tourist economy that's here, as well as just the the native environment that's here and trying to preserve it um, and maintain it. And so you have this interesting, you know, dichotomy per se of, of all different walks of life coming in and interacting with one another. Um, so there's one, I think one of the big things that attracted us is just all the opportunity to connect with various perspectives and people. Um, so for me, that's always been a very valuable learning experience to be able to, you know, as, as Drew mentioned earlier, you know, I'm a man of many stories. And, and for me, my philosophy is being able to learn about other people's stories helps to then change and develop my own. And so I always love being in places like that, then being in a place where, um, you know, socially, politically, environmentally, um, very similar ideas and, and perspectives that I that I shared of taking care of the land, conservation, community outreach and engagement. Um, you know, looking out for one another, and and so that was that was the atmospheric side that kind of brought us here. And then I know always from when I was a kid, I I wanted to I, I used to say I either want to be in a place where there's mountains or in a place where I'm by the water. And so uh, I ended up in a place by the water and um, that's great. And um, because of that, there's lots of outdoor opportunities to not only engage with native nature, but also to engage with community. And, and um, you know, as we talk more about Wholesome MV um, later on, that is a, that is, kind of part of that intention of, of that collaborative business is to work with all different types of organizations and businesses on island that share in those elements and, you know, have outdoor areas where people can really find a deeper appreciation and connection uh, to nature and, and what nature offers. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So Jason, I'd love for you to just tell a little bit about, so, so you had this amazing experience with yoga just to go back where you walked into that class and it helped you with the OCD. And, and, and now I know as a full-time, you know, doing this, this healing work and yoga and other things as well, but part of, I know your work is to bring it into the schools mm -hmm. and, and I'd love you to just talk about what you're doing with yoga and how, you know, you're using it, you're sharing it with other people um, because there's just so many challenges in the world with mental health issues. Um, that's been a, that's sort of been a reoccurring theme we've had on the show here is just all of the, the toll of, of the mental health challenges that people young and old are facing, but really young, young kids is, you know, in, in particular. So, so maybe just talk about how, what, what you're doing, how, how you're bringing some of these tools to the, uh, to the young people. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's it's definitely a collaborative effort. Um, so there's there's lots of organizations on island um, that are very supportive of mindfulness based practices and sharing those with all sorts of demographics. And so 
um, you know, you have that element of, of support um, as well as, as funding for these programs. And then my element and my passion, which is to bring these practices that I know have been transformative for me, as well as for many people, not only in current modern times, but going back hundreds and thousands of years ago. And so for me, and then also having this experience as well of, of growing up as a teen and, and as a kid with anxiety and depression and, and really struggling with how to get through that, how to navigate that and like how to find purpose in life when there are those, um, you know, for me, what felt like a weight at the time bearing me down. And so, you know, it's a combination of, of community so support, lots of people on the island who want to encourage these programs and find ways to help improve the community from a very young age. And then practitioners like myself who want to, you know, take that and utilize that and bring, bring all these people and kids practices. And so, um, what what I do now is is I work with a couple different foundations that um, bring yoga into the schools on island and um, my main area of focus is within the high school and so we we do at the high school and it's a really awesome program is that instead of having to take PE every year they can choose between yoga or PE during their junior or their senior year and so because of that I know for myself I, I grew up and I was never a very competitive person so PE was sometimes a, a struggle for me to, to play these competitive sports and you know to be gauged by certain metrics with sit and reach and all that type of stuff and so I thought you know and then also going through OCD I'm like wow yoga would be such an awesome thing to have as an option or an alternative and so the kids get to choose between do they want to do yoga or do they want to do PE? And so um, the program um, has just grown exponentially year over year. Um, and I think COVID kind of set off this, this um, you know, ripple effect because a lot of these kids, you know, they went from being able to interact with one another and, you know, build friendships and be in school to then, you know, being quarantined at home and not being able to see one another and feeling like they're going into a world that is falling apart. And so there is a lot of increase in anxiety and depression and all those different mental health issues that, that follow. Um, and so it, you know, kids in their own right are very intuitive. So I think they have seen the difficulties of these times and also have felt the sensations that that create suffering from within. And, and so they've been encouraged to, um, you know, try something new and yoga is something new for them. And, you know, they see a lot through social media, all these different people online that are practicing yoga and sharing about yoga and different applications come out. So um, for them, I think there's a sense of curiosity as well as a sense of need, just like I had when I was going to college of like, I got to figure out something that can help me more skillfully navigate my life. And if I stay like this, I, I, I feel like I'm just going to continue to be to be sluggish. I need something to transform me and to give me some sense of purpose or passion. And I think what the students are finding is that yoga is something that is offering that to them. Um, it's a place where they can, you know, figure out how to be themselves. It's a place where they have the opportunity to reduce stress in their unique way. So as much as we have, you know, classes throughout the week, and those classes are typically based in yoga and other mindfulness practices, be it meditation, be it breath work, be it yoga philosophy, and, you know, coaching in that, that sort of respect, 
I also give them the opportunity to come up to me during class and say, hey, you know, I, I was I, I had, uh, you know, baseball practice after school and I had a lot of homework to do and I didn't get a chance to finish everything up. And I'm feeling really stressed about turning this in for the deadline. Like, do you mind if I work on it during class today? And for me, it's something that I, I try to encourage them to do the practice. But some days the, the, the yoga is just getting the work done so they can feel more uh more open and uh, stress-free going into the rest of their day. So, um, you know, there's lots of different elements of the classes, but I try to make it unique to each individual there so they can realize that, hey, you know, mindfulness-based techniques are unique to the individual and each individual is going to have a certain way of utilizing the tool. Um, so let's let's discover that together through having flexibility, having a little bit of discipline, having a sense of dedication, and then having a safe space where people can explore and share and and develop themselves. That's great. That's so great, um, Jason. Maybe talk a little bit about Wholesome MV. This this company that that you and your wife created. Just tell us a little bit bit about what it is. Yeah, definitely. So. Um, this was something that was started out of the pandemic as well. And it was a moment for me. So I, I was actually, you know, speaking about Kripalu, I was um, at Kripalu right before they shut down because of uh, the pandemic and everyone going into quarantine, the closures happening. And so at that time, you know, I remember being at Kripalu and, you know, it, the I believe it was um, Krishna Das who was playing there like the weekend before they shut down. So there's like 700 people here, like everyone's having a good time dancing together. And then that whole week, there's just news story after news story about how COVID is spreading and everything's shutting down. And I was there in a place of doing a, a meditation training. So I was I was very calm at the time from all the practices we were doing, but seeing others starting to get really scared and not sure what's going to happen in that moment of uncertainty, really driving deep sense of stress and trauma. And then, you know, so everyone leaves, the place shuts down. I get back home onto the island and I'm seeing all these island businesses, many of which my friends are either working for or running themselves and they're shutting down and they're not sure what's going to happen. And then at the greater wellness industry, you know, especially in the U.S. where there's a little bit more competition um, within the industry, you know, people not realizing or not not under not um, not knowing what's going to happen next to their business, to their livelihood. And out of all of that struggle and all of that suffering, seeing underlying it all this kind of systematic issue, which is that there, at least in the Western society, is so much of a focus on competition with one another and, you know, the, the best competitor wins out type of thing in, in the business setting and how that can lead to harm and suffering in times of trial and tribulation and how, you know, and, and that thought of like, do we really need to, you know, create a model or an environment that creates so much suffering and stress when there's times of hardship, given that hardship is inherent to life in, in, in general. And so what wholesome came about was just like, there's got to be a better model for, 
you know, health and wellness, but also just in general business. And um, I was reading a book at the time called The Companies We Keep, um, a book by John Abrams, who who has a design and build firm on island. Um, and the, the business structure of that firm is an employee-owned um, firm. And so it was a, just a different, again, model of doing business um, that I think better aligns the value created to the people that are creating it. Um, you know, and there's, I, I think there's better incentive structures for cooperation and collaboration in those fields. And so I started thinking about, well, how could I take a similar structure and build that into yoga and mindfulness and, and wellness? And um, so, so what we came up with was, was Wholesome MV. And so the idea is that it's a, it's a collaborative based business, meaning that we partner with different organizations around the island that are trying to support the community in one way or another, and then utilizing their space, their resources, as well as my offerings um, and my, my wife's offerings to uh, incentivize health and wellness to the broader community, as well as making it affordable to all different types of people. Because within at least the yoga and wellness industry, for instance, the studio model um, is sometimes flawed. There's a lot of capital required to have a studio. There's rent, there's utilities, there's all the management systems behind it. And then there's also the issue with having excess capacity throughout the day. So oftentimes the studio is incentivized to fill up the space with as many classes as there can be, but there's only so much demand in any community. And so what happens is if you have multiple studios in a community and then you have them competing against one another in that way, um, even when there's a certain set of demand and obviously we, you know, as teachers, we try to, you know, increase that demand by inspiring and empowering and showing others of this benefit, there's still the element of this trade-off that happens is, you know, do I make my business profitable or do I value the teachers that are part of it? Um, and so oftentimes it's a trade-off in that industry, in that model. So my idea was not only how can we collaborate with businesses and studios and teachers and wellness practitioners, but also how can we then align value a little bit better? And so the traditional um, you know, form that that comes in for Wholesome MV and, and how we collaborate is an example of we connected with the museum on island um, and there's a lot of Native American heritage on island and the museum's a great place that shares about the history of the island and that heritage so we can respect those cultures and and the land that we all live on now and that we're you know enjoying ourselves on and so you know, for them during the pandemic, obviously it was hard for them to bring people into the museum because of the social distancing restrictions and all that. And so what we came up with was a program where every Saturday we would have yoga out on the lawn, a community-based yoga class. And the drop-in fee for that yoga class was essentially just split between the two parties. And then we also had outdoor exhibits that were built out at the museum. So people would come to the class and as they come to the class, they also get to learn about the history of the museum. They're engaging with mindfulness, wellness. They're having time to connect with their community in a safe way. And from a business sense, both parties have only reward. There's really no risk. There's no cost that goes into that. Obviously, besides there, there's, there's certain resources and land for that type of thing. But for them, the museum, they had excess capacity. So they wanted to fill that to be able to continue their own operations. So it was a beautiful partnership that allowed us to create that as well as a space for community to then come together. Nice. And nice. then we've taken that and kind of brought it to 
all different types of businesses. So with, you know, conservation organizations on island working on the beaches, um, with the local libraries around the island, um, offering free classes through that. Um, and that's a nice way that, you know, people that are not necessarily that are, you know, underserved per se in that respect, because, you know, it's hard to choose between spending $20 for a yoga class and, you know, getting your meal at night. So having a little bit of free options so everyone can practice and engage with these, with these beautiful practices as an opportunity was a nice way to continue, just expand that whole vibe and, and mm. culture that we were trying to create. Oh. <laughs> love it. Love it, man. I, you know, I, when I hear about these cool, um, this cool model that you, that you and your wife have created with wholesome MV, it's like, you know, with the, with, like you just brought up the example with the museum and the yoga, it's like, I want to, I want to be there. I want to go there right now. <laughs> it sounds amazing. Anytime, uh, <laughs> anytime. <laughs> what, what, what a cool idea. So, you know, I wanted to dive into a little bit cause you know, I met Jason doing this, this amazing breath work maybe just talk. So, so the breath work is incredibly powerful, Jason. Yeah. Obviously I, I was telling some people the example, um, the other day that I, that I re that a couple weekends ago, I played tennis and I used to, I used to play tennis all the time and I hadn't really picked up a racket for years. And I was playing with a friend of mine and, and even though my skills were incredibly rusty and I was, you know, hitting the ball all over the place, I felt so inc like like it was night and day how much calmer and energized I felt because I know through practicing breath work that I've been doing with yoga and just you know techniques that I've been picking up along the way I mean Jason it was night and day like I just felt so <laughs> more relaxed focused I felt like I could play for hours if I needed to and when I when I used to play tennis I mean, I was, it was, I was a high school, I was a young, young guy. And yet mm -hmm. I would be, you know, panting and huffing all over the place. I mean, the breath work is, you know, I'd love to hear your, your take and your thoughts on what makes the breath work so powerful. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's a great story to share. It's like that difference between having awareness of the breath and not having awareness of the breath. And, and once you have it, it's like, oh yeah, I gotta be breathing to be yeah. able to keep keep working and moving my body and, and yeah. continuing on. So it is that foundation. And and maybe on that note, you know, just for the for the sake of us as well as the listeners, we can just take a little moment to to take a breath together, um, so you can feel that experience mm. um, before I go and you know put put some words to it. Oh, um, sometimes you know words are great, you know they they're a nice way to share one story, but you know oftentimes it's the it's the listener that is then interpreting that story and those words and putting it into experiment is a nice way to uh, to bridge the gap sometimes between trying to infer and understand and then actually feel that. Mm -hmm. So um, on that note, if everyone wants to just take a little moment to sit up, if you're if you're driving, keep your eyes open. <laughs> but uh, if, if you're if you're seated, listening somewhere, maybe you take a little moment to close the eyes if that's comfortable. Just take a second to, to listen to your surroundings and to the sound that's coming from within you. Maybe you've already started to notice your breath a little bit more, but as you consciously begin to engage with it, let your belly be soft, sit up tall and take a little bit of a slower breath in. 
Sometimes just counting off your inhale for five to 10 seconds and then trying to match that with the exhale, making the exhale just slightly longer. It's a nice way to start to bring a little bit of conscious effort to the breath. And then just for the next three breaths at the top of the inhale, play with holding the breath for three to five seconds. Again, if you're driving just a little minor hold and then letting it go out, but let it go out with control. And in that moment of holding, try to relax around the breath, Let that hold be like a little container for the body to melt around. And then on your next breath in at the top, again, just a little minor hold. And when you're ready to release the breath, open the mouth, let it go with a little sigh. <sighs> if your eyes are closed, you can gently open them and take a little gaze around your space. Just noticing the effects of that little pause, little more awareness of the breath. How we doing, Drew? Oh, wow, Jason, that was amazing. I, I feel so much more relaxed. I'm going to have to call you up in the middle of every show, I think, and be like, hey, can you lead us? <laughs> can you lead us in a meditation? That, that was fantastic. Awesome, awesome. Happy to hear it. And, and anytime, happy to jump in. <laughs> But, you know, I, I think that's a great that's a great point of feedback is, is, you know, sometimes, especially even just with with getting into conversation, like there's there's energy being spent there and there's there's, um, you know, work and effort being done mentally, physically, emotionally. And so sometimes just taking a breath gives us that space to to reconnect with those things that are just foundational to our our being right mm -hmm. and, and and even sitting with someone and, and seeing that breath being taken it's like oh yeah you're a person and, and just like me you're breathing your heart's beating and you're thinking and you're trying to navigate and and so i do think that mm -hmm. you know words go a long way but the breath takes us that extra extra distance to to finding deeper connection with one another and and with ourselves so yeah um yeah so so yeah to answer your question um you know the breath practice for me why it's so meaningful is because it really helped me get through ocd um you know yoga was great to move my body 
meditation was great to, you know, practice trying to tune my mind, right? One thing I think about with meditation is not necessarily stopping the mind, but it's more becoming aware of the movements of the mind and strengthening that ability to observe the mind rather than constantly being in the state of reacting to the thinking moving mind. Um, and breath is amazing because as the foundation, right? If we weren't breathing, then we wouldn't be living. So when we have that conscious engagement of the breath, we can create a space for yoga, for movement to be safe and healthy and to be intuitive. And we can also create a space and stimulate that meditative state of observation and, and seeing and witnessing without necessarily reacting to what our thinking mind may be telling us or what our impulses may be driving us towards. Um, and so because of that, from an OCD perspective, right, oftentimes OCD, there's some sort of obsessive thought that creates a compulsion. And that compulsion in a way is like a little ritual. So for instance, an example of one of the compulsions I would have is I'd come home at the end of the day and I'd go to take my shoes off and put them down on the ground. I'd put them down and my mind would say, hey, that the edge of that shoe is on the crack between the tile. And if you don't move that shoe, then your partner is going to get sick and die. Your, your parents are going to get sick and die. Um, something bad is going to happen. And when that would happen, even though I knew that thought was illogical, there was such a strong emotional and sensational pull to need to act on that, that I had to respond to it. So I was just constantly in the mode of acting and reacting on what my thinking mind was going towards, even though in the back of my mind, I knew some of those thoughts were, were illogical. So I was always just reacting to that obsession based off of some sort of fear that I was having that then drove a compulsion. And so for many years during therapy that I was going through, I was working with kind of essentially the idea that was given was when you notice a thought like that, talk yourself through why that thought is illogical or doesn't make sense, right? Why your parents would never die from having your shoe placed in the wrong position on a tile. Um, which for me was, you know, I kind of understood the thought process behind it. But it didn't really make sense because I already knew that my thought process was illogical. So going and debating that process was just a, a con continuous conflict that didn't feel fully conscious of the reality of, of that thought process that was happening and the reaction that I was having. So what breath practice and mindfulness taught me was, hey, instead of fighting the thought or proving why the thought is right or wrong, let's just try to create a space where you say, hey, there is a thought and I am separate from my thoughts, right? And to, to, to help create that space, you had the breath, the sound of the breath, the movement of the breath. And if you noticed when we were just doing that experience, when you slow your breath down, there's a current, there's an energy to that conscious effort that can keep you focused within. And one thing that I'll say when I'm in a yoga practice is try to align the power of your breath to the power of the posture. So when the posture is getting really hard or difficult to hold, let the power of your breath deepen. Let it be a little bit more stronger, a little more rhythmic. Let, you know, make some sound, right? Because that current is going to help you to stay focused and resilience, resilient in that moment of discomfort. And so for me, you know, in, in, in working through my OCD, when I would have those compulsions, the breath practice, the mindfulness therapy was 
in a way, a combination of exposure therapy and then the breath and mindfulness therapy on top of that. So I would feel and acknowledge the compulsion, the obsession. I would step away. And then usually what I would do is I would do five deep breaths with a little retention at the top, kind of like we just did in that experiment. Inhale, hold for a couple seconds, and then exhale. And again, that current of not only the moving breath, but also holding the breath was something that gave me a space to create a little bit of a boundary. And it also helped with the exposure because part of exposure therapy is the time that you're exposing yourself to that feeling of, I just need to react to this. And so as I'm creating more and more of a space and maybe engaging in longer and longer breath practices in between when I'm feeling and sensing the compulsion and then getting into my breath, I'm essentially building my resilience to withstand that reaction. And so over time, you know, originally when I first started out, it wasn't easy. Like, especially if someone's listening out there and they have OCD and they're like, oh, just five breaths, right? That I think will help you. But at the end of the day, I want you to also know that the, the benefits come not only from the practice itself, but the time spent in the practice. So making sure it's done on a consistent basis and also knowing that some days it's going to really help. And some days you're just, there's so much sensation coming from the obsession or the compulsion that the breath, you know, is lost along the way and you just fall back into it. Like there's going to be ups and downs, but it's the consistency and the repetition that really, I think, creates the benefit at the end of the day. So my recommendation would be instead of thinking about stilling the mind and, and relieving yourself of, of OCD or any sort of compulsion or anxiety just from doing one practice. And instead of setting a goal that if I do this for a month, then I should have less anxiety. Instead, just think about my goal is to just show up every day to that practice. And no matter what happens, I just continually and continually show up. And if you continually show up to that practice, I have no doubt that you'll make some sort of transformation and some sort of change for the better. But it really does take not only doing the practice, but doing it repetitively and consistently, and then challenging yourself every now and then to maybe sustain those breaths a little bit longer. So maybe you start with five deep breaths and maybe that relieves you of the compulsion and you can walk away from it. Or you do the five breaths and you still have to react. But at the end of the day, you still took those five breaths. So next time around, maybe you say, let's experiment. What if I go up to six breaths? What if I go up to 10 breaths, right? And soon enough, you're taking your own 20-minute meditation as you're working through this. And obviously, again, you know, there's, there's different elements that people are all struggling with. To take the time out of your day to work with these practices can be really challenging to do. So if you don't have 20 minutes, if you don't have an hour to work with it, that's okay. Again, it's the consistency that's going to make the biggest difference. So again, in my experience, it was just showing up. And whether I had a minute, five minutes, or a whole hour to work with it, I just needed to do that every day. And, and, it, and it proved itself. After a year of this everyday practice, I had weaned myself off of my medications with my doctor's help. And I had you know lost a bunch of weight at the same time. And I came out with this really strong sense of resilience, as well as an understanding of OCD. And, you know, I said it earlier about how I kind of turned it into a superpower. Well, with OCD, I found how it risen for me was I had a lot of thought, right? And a lot of creative thought at times. 
but I just never knew how to act on it because there was so much coming through. So oftentimes with anxiety, right, there's a lot of this bubbling up energy. And when there's so much of it and there's not an awareness of that energy behind the thought, it's just react, 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 because you're trying to manage it all coming at once. But really developing that observer perspective, that witness perspective, you get this opportunity to feel the energy bubbling up, step back, see all the different avenues, the different channels, and then with practice and time, better able to direct the energy into one channel or the other. And so from a CPA and consulting perspective, that has gone a long way because in those moments of difficulty, stress, or problem solving, I feel like I have this endless energy that I can direct because of the ability to observe my thoughts and utilize my breath to, you know, manage the struggles and the tugs and the pulls. Mm. So, oh, yeah. that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, that's great, Jason. Just just a few sort of rapid fire questions that I like to ask people that come on the show. And I, I think I, I think I kind of know what you're going to say to this, but um, <laughs> what, what are some of your daily practices? I mean, I know you've gone through a bunch of them, but that that may that maybe you could say make you feel the most alive. Yeah, definitely. So the the daily practices that make me feel the most alive are uh, well, one specific type of breathing technique. Um, it's called analome velome, which means with and against the grain. It's a form of alternate nostril breathing, and um, it's a yogic type of breathing. So alternate nostril breathing is in yoga. Um, the name is is Nadi Shodhana. Um, which is the channel cleansing breath. With analone velome, you're essentially doing that same breath pattern. So you inhale through one nostril, exhale through the other, inhale through the nostril you exhaled on, and then exhale out the other side. And you just continue that back and forth, slowing down your breath into a controlled and steady state. With analone velome, the difference is that you hold the breath at the top of the inhale. And the interesting thing about breath practice is oftentimes we're thought, we're, you know, it, engaging in these practices, I would go to yoga classes and, and the cue would always be to breathe, breathe, breathe. And that's a really awesome way to soothe the nervous system and do it. There's nothing wrong with breathing, but part of learning to breathe is also learning how to hold the breath. And, um, you know, I, I know that you had interviewed James Nestor um, on your podcast before, and he has uh, Breath, the New Science of the Lost Ark, the book, the book he wrote there. And I think he does a great job. Um, and I highly recommend that book because I think he does a great job on talking about the power of holding your breath, as well as the science behind it. And so in that holding of the breath, you know, if, if you think about it, right, you're, you're constantly going through your day breathing autonomically in the background. Most of the day, we're not conscious of the breath. It's just there helping us to get through it. So when we hold the breath, it's something that the nervous system is like, whoa, what's, what's going on here? We're holding the breath. This isn't, this isn't the regular you know, business as usual type of thing. So everything kind of focuses inward when you hold the breath. It's a great way to instill focus, to still the mind for a moment, to help create a little bit of awareness of the body. Because again, the nervous system is awakening from this autonomic response to this more conscious response. And so it's that moment of aliveness and aha, oh, wow, I'm here and I'm breathing and I can control the rate of my breath, the rhythm of my breath. I can see my thoughts and decide, do I want to react to them or do I want to, you know, shift my awareness other, other places? 
And so the, the on alone below breath practice with and against the grain, again, a variation of alternate nostril breathing where you're holding the breath at the top, whether it be for five, 10 seconds, or maybe all the way up to a minute. And the length of holding is going to change the benefits and the impact from the practice. But either of that, that, that is like my go-to first thing I do in the morning, wake up on a lone below. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. Okay. Um, if, if, Let's see, Jason, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say 25 years or so, what words of wisdom would your current self share with your younger self? Ooh, yeah, that would be <laughs> a uh, interesting conversation. Um, and that's, that's it's a great, great question. And um, I, I think... Hmm, Got to take a breath for that one. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> I think I would say to, to myself then to not underestimate the power of taking a pause and asking the inquiries of, am I still breathing? Am I still thinking? And am I still here? Right. And, and in those three inquiries, if the answer is yes, yes, and yes, which typically always is, as long as we're living, uh, then that means I can continue to experiment in my life. And so in those moments of stress, in those moments of anxiety, moments of depression, feeling like the world's not going your way or, you know, things are never going to work out and it's just going to keep being this downhill fall till, till the world ends type of thing. If you're there and you're in that moment of stress and anxiety and conflict, then taking that step back, taking a breath and saying, am I still breathing? Am I still thinking? still feeling, noticing, am I still here, right? And the answers are yes, then that means that you can keep experimenting. And regardless of where the world goes, there's so much that we can't control in the world. And so part of the practices is trying to let go of that control. And then also knowing that because there's so much we can't control, there's also a lot of room for experiment. And every time we experiment, we're going to impact the change that happens in the world. And so, you know, it's that moment of like, ah, oh, I know for me, you know, climate change is a big thing that not only I'm worried about, but that um, a lot of the students in high school that I talk to are worried about, like they're worried that they're not going to have a life in the same environment that their parents had. And so oftentimes they, they share that they feel overwhelmed with the different worldly issues that are happening. And my, 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 uh, offering to them is, is that inquiry is, Hey, are you still breathing? Are you still thinking? Are you still feeling? Are you still here? And if that's the case, yes, all this stuff is scary. It's valid concerns. It's understandable. And you still can go and call your representative. You can still go and volunteer. You could go on a walk on the beach and pick up some trash and you yourself may not necessarily solve global climate change, but your impact, your effort is going to add to that collective effort and impact that will make the world a better place. So mm. I think that's what I would say to myself. You know, those are, <laughs> those are like four of the most empowering questions to ask yourself. That's amazing. That really yeah, is amazing. Appreciate that. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely incredible. Um, Jason, are people that want that maybe, you know, at Martha's Vineyard or, or just just want to find out more about you and your work, wherever they happen to be, where should they go? 
Yeah, definitely. So um, you can go to wholesomemv.com. That's wholesome, like you're giving someone a wholesome hug. Um, MV, as in Martha's Vineyard, um, .com. And that's that's my wife and I's website um, for the collaborative-based business. Um, you know, we have a lot of different on-demand virtual videos for those, as well as some live classes um, that are provided for those who are or maybe off-island. We have lots of in-person events, workshops, and offerings there as well. Um, we also do wholesome cooking, which is something my 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 wife runs, and and she's just an incredible cook. She she's studied sustainable agriculture, food systems, and has worked within the business for many years. And um, so, so she's really good at connecting people to nature in a different way in the food they eat and the environments they live within and trying to eat um, the food that is local to you and is accessible to you and also how that can benefit you in a variety of ways. So we have that other dimension. And then wholesome living is the other aspect of that, which is really our, 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 uh, our karma yoga per se, it's, it's the, it's the seva, the, the yoga of service. And, um, you know, we've done things where we worked actually, you know, talking about the museum, you know, we had a couple programs last year, affordable housing on Island is a really big issue as it is, you know, in, in many places around the world. Um, and so, so as part of, uh, trying to, to, to again, you know, give our little efforts that again collectively create change in the world. Um, we essentially had these fundraiser events, and it was it was yoga for affordable housing, and so the community came out, and all the um, drop-ins that came through that day, the the fee for class went to um, the Island Housing Trust, which is an organization on island, a not-for-profit that works a lot with um, developing affordable housing communities, and so you know, different ways that we can give back as well, because I do think that when we think about business business and trying to change the model and and move to a more cooperative and collaborative society it not only takes working with each other and dropping the the fear behind scarcity and 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 dropping the the need to do better than someone else and rather how can we work together to do better together the the important element is also how do we serve those in society who are who are maybe under, underserved and and could utilize utilize a little bit of, of extra support. And so that's that element of it. And, um, you know, we're a growing business. Uh, one, one thing for me is I'm really hoping to continue to expand the amount of teachers that we work with um, and, you know, really sharing it with all different wellness practitioners on island, massage therapists, fitness instructors, um, coaches, um, you know, all those types of people that are that are really trying to make the world a better place through health and wellness. So that's wholesomemv, wholesomemv.com. You can find me there. And then on social media, um, on Instagram, it's at Yogi J, all lowercase. Um, that's my that's my social media page. I, I sometimes share little funnies. I share philosophy. I do some with some of my practice, but I do prefer to live out out in uh, in reality for the most part. And so um, if you do reach out to me there, I appreciate your patience in, in my response. Um, and I encourage you to to come find me in person and have a conversation. I think oftentimes it's you know, technology is beautiful, right? Right now we're able to communicate, Drew and I and the listeners here having a wonderful conversation. Um, so I think technology is awesome. It's important to acknowledge that. And I think it's great to be able to connect with people in person and, and have those conversations. So again, we can see another person across from them that is just like you, just like me, breathing, heart beating, trying to go through life. That's awesome. That's awesome. Jason, thank you so much. This was this was great, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you so much for having me on. And and on to all the listeners here. 
go go follow Drew. Go listen to his podcast more. Um, I've listened to a couple since we since we've met, and um, I, I what I really appreciate about what you offer is sharing again different perspectives, different stories, and again all of those collective stories I know are going to reach one person in one way or another that helps them to grow and find more balance for themselves, learn how to connect with the world in one way or another, whatever they're searching. Thank you for creating that space and for also being such an awesome listener. I feel like I've been <laughs> talking a lot, so appreciate that. Oh, I love it. I love it. Jason, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.